0: Okay, my name is, I think, um, <laughs> Mike, and I'm still alcoholic. Um, okay, and now we're coming into 8 and 9, 10 and 11 and 12. These are my favorite steps. Um, and uh, I'll tell you why. It's where I found God in the ninth step. Um, I think I told you that, that I came in here not believing in God. Looking back on it, God is in the details. Um, And quite honestly, I had so many chances to see God working in my life, all the way through my drinking life, all the way up, getting sober, all the way through. But I still doubted that there was this God. And um, I remember in 8, my sponsor sent me home to review my inventory to find out what harm I had caused. All right? And I'm a believer in 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 that the work is actually in the... It's Of 6 and 7, the real work comes in 6. In 8 and 9, the real work comes in the 8th step. And <clears throat> I got done with this inventory and I take it to my sponsor. I 5th step that I've gone through 6 and 7. Now I put the seal on if I really and truly want to change. If I'm having a problem making an amend, I have a seventh step problem. It's because I do not want to change. If I'm holding on to something and I want to keep it up, I don't want to make amends for that, do I? If I really and truly do not want to be this kind of man that I described earlier on the left side of the page, and I really and truly want to move over here to the right side of the page and be this kind of man over here, I have no problem making an amend. So, my first time through the work, Frank had me write out my amends list. Now... He also went through with it with me on how to make an amend, which is at that point in time I would call them, I would tell them that I'm an alcoholics anonymous, which I do not do anymore. I'm gonna tell you about that later. I do not use that today, because alcohol is the harms I cause today, alcohol plays no part in it. And it's a cop out as far as I'm concerned, to say, I'm an alcoholics anonymous and I want to make amends to you (laughs) now. Okay? So, he said, here's how you make an amend. You write out the harm after you found it on a 3x5 card. And he said the reason he writes them out is because when you make the amend, he says, I want you to read off the card. I said, why do you want me to do that? He said, because your ego is going to want to start making excuses for your behavior. So in the middle of the amend, all of a sudden I'm going, Well, I lied to you, but I was really scared and you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He said, That's no good. So he said, What you do is you have a card and he said, You're going to take this card into the amend with you face to face is the way you make amends, unless it's absolutely impossible. Now I heard the biggest crock of crap I've ever heard in Alcoholics Anonymous not too long ago. Now you may have all heard this. Maybe I'm slow. Somebody said that they would make amends except when to do so would injure them or others and they were the others.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Has that been around, long, been time? around a long time? Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't agree. <laughs> yeah. I I mean I had never heard that. The big book says that we must be hard on ourselves. Right? Because we need ego deflation at depth to overcome the disease of alcoholism to a degree that David was reading in the previous steps about deflating the ego at a depth that's unheard of to most of the world in order to overcome this disease. So he had me write out the, the harm I found all right? And by the time I got out of my fifth step, I knew what the harms were. There was no kidding around about it. We picked all that out in the fifth step. He said, then I want you to write a sentence underneath that that says, is there anything I have left out? So he said, you will make an appointment. <clears throat> you will go in and you will tell them why you're there. And then he said, you're going to read to them what you did to them. And then you're going to say, is there anything I have left out and I am going to keep my mouth shut? And they can say whatever they want to say. And I listen to it. When they're done, he said, what you're going to do is say, is there anything else? And if they say no, you're going to say, what can I do to set this right? Now, a lot of people would leave you off the hook. They'd say, oh, I'm just glad you showed up, you know. Okay. He said, no, you're going to know what you're going to do to make it right. And if they don't tell you what to do, you're going to tell them what you're going to do. Now, going into amends, I go into amends for two reasons. One, I don't want to be this man anymore. But the second reason that I didn't even know about until I had completed amends was that I go into amends with an unprotected heart. I found out I do not have to protect myself. I have lived my entire life trying to protect me. And if I'm in the middle of an amend, God has my back. Now, either this deal really and truly works or it doesn't. Okay? So I had all these amends in Denver, and as you all know, I came from San Francisco to Denver. And uh, <clears throat> we're going through, and I had all these warrants out for me. And the, what the warrants were for was Salto police officer, pimp and pandering, bootlegging, and something else I can't even remember. He said, you're going to have to make amends for that. You're going to have to turn yourself in. But he said, we don't lead with a chin. He says, let's get an attorney in, in San Francisco to be there, to set bail if you can get it, and the whole thing. And part of my amends story is this. I ran these strip clubs in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco Well, the and in North Beach. And the people that owned these was the mob. That's who owned them. And I stole from them. I would just take 50, 100, 200 bucks a night out of the till, put it in my pocket. I was smart enough to figure it all out. And so I told Frank about all this, and he goes, You owe them an amend.
1: <laughs>
0: I said, No, I don't. <laughs> I said, These people rip anybody off. He says, It has nothing to do with them. He said, It has to do with you. I said, Frank, if I go and make amends to these people, I am, I'll never come back. He said, yes, you will. He said, either this deal works or it doesn't. He said, you cannot stay sober looking over your shoulder. You can't do it. You want to get really clean, get clean. This isn't about just getting clean from alcohol and drugs. This is about getting clean in life where I can look. Every single human being that I know in the eye, that I don't walk across the street to avoid a soul. There isn't a town, there isn't any place I can't go today. I'm not afraid to meet anybody. Right? That's what this program will offer me. So what happens is is I made all these amends. One of the amends that I made was for, because I've been sober about eleven months and my wife had divorced me and I was paying child support, but I, I made amends to her and i been part of the amends for for paying her late. And when Frank sponsored me, there was a couple of conditions he had for sponsoring me. Not just working the twelve steps and be, becoming a home group member, but he said if you have a kid you're gonna pay your child support and if you have a kid you are going to see your kid on time every single chance you have, and you will get a job. Those were his three other conditions. And <clears throat> so I made amends to my ex-wife, and part of the amend was to uh, I'm sorry for paying you child support late. I always paid, but you know I I was more important than her, obviously. So what I did was I would pay on the fifteenth instead of the first or whatever. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget this. This, was, this will show you how sick I was, because this was eye-opening to me. She looked at me and she said, Mike, I don't like you. And she said, you don't like me. So why don't you just pay your child support on the first, and we never have to talk to each other again. And all of a sudden, it clicked. Do what you say you're going to do. Very simple concept. Do what you say you're going to do. Frank's definition of honesty is do what you say you're going to do and say what you do. That's his definition of honesty. It's also mine. The reason for that is, is I don't live my life behind no curtains no more. Right? I don't have no agendas going on back here. My best friends in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, you want to know why they're my best friends? They don't have an agenda with me, and I have none with them. None whatsoever. I don't want nothing from them. They don't want nothing from me. So Frank was the kind of guy, and Don was saying the same thing, and a couple other people were saying the same thing, that if this thing really and truly works, it's going to work in the middle of making amends. And it's in the middle of amends, I'm going to test this God thing. And I go into an amend with an unprotected heart. So what I ended up doing was... I went into San Francisco, and I had a whole bunch of amends to make, and I made the easiest ones first. And then I was scared to death, and I wasn't going to make amends to the people that owned the nightclubs. I figured I'd turn myself into the San Francisco Police Department. They're going to arrest me, so I ain't got to worry about making amends to the, to the mob. Does that make sense? <laughs> So I contacted this attorney that Frank had gotten me lined up with. I told him that I'm coming in to do it. And I walked into the precinct station down by the Tenderloin District. It was just sort of like what's in TV, a big old desk with a desk sergeant standing there. I was petrified. Folks, I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that I had God on my shoulder and I'm going to walk <laughs> in there and just present myself like the man I really am. I was just a total coward. I walked in... And he looked up at me and he said, "What do you want?" And I said, uh, "My name's Mike Shane. I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous, and I need to make amends." I uh, am. <laughs> he said, "What?" I said, uh, "My name's Mike Shane. I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm here to make amends because I got some warrants out for me." He goes, "Oh no, not another one of you guys!" <laughs> And I said, yeah, and they took me upstairs, and they took me up, and the detectives came in, and they left for an hour, and they came back. How did, What's your social, and this, that, and the other thing? And they came back like three and a half hours later, and I'm prepared to go to jail. I really am. Because I knew I couldn't live that way. I mean, from the time I left San Francisco, every time I saw a cop, I'm like this, yes, right? And so... Finally, this cop walks in and he goes, yeah, we got that you are arrested for all this. It was all dropped to disturbing the peace and you're on a year's probation. What are you doing here? (laughs) I had never done anything with those. And I left the police department and I was so high and so relieved, I decided that what I was going to do was call... Big boss of the guys that own the, the five clubs. and I was going to call him at his office and he probably wouldn't be there and I could tell Frank I tried. Uh-huh. It was like 2:30 in the afternoon. I make the, I had the number I called. He answers the phone.
2: <laughs> Who's
0: this? This is tell him. He says, Mikey, we haven't seen you in a long time. Come on over. Say hi. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't know if you've been up to North Beach in San Francisco. I'm sure he has. But (laughs) right right next to the Nessies, there's a strip club on the right-hand side of the alley, and you walk up the big, long stairs into this back alley. And right up back up there's their office, and so I go over there and I walk up, and all I can think about is what Frank kept telling me: I got to make this amend, I got to make this amend, I got to make this amend, and I can't be looking over my shoulder. And and uh, I I was really petrified. And I walk in, and it was just like out of The Sopranos. There's a guy about this big who they come up to you and they go like this: "Hi, it's good to see you. How you doing? You know, because they're checking." You. Right, and so uh finally, I get in this guy's name's Gino, and he's everything that you can imagine, little short guy with a silk suit and a pinky ring, and he tells me, "What are you doing?" and so I'm talking to him, and he said, "You look good, you look a lot better than you used to,
1: <laughs>
0: and I had a short haircut and the whole thing, and he says what are you doing? And I said, oh, Gino. And I said, Jesus Christ, I didn't want to tell you this, but I'm here to make amends. I stole all this money. He looked at me and he says, how much did you steal? Well, now I knew I had made a mistake. Because, see, I thought they knew. But they didn't know. <laughs> right? And I said, Gino, I don't know. I mean, it's 50 here, 100 here, 200. You know, I, I really don't know. He said, what would you say, 15 grand, 20 grand? Yeah, something like that. I said, Gino, I, pr- I promise you I'll, I'll pay you back. You know, I'm driving a cab now, but I'll pay you back. <laughs> we'll, set up, we'll, set up, uh, we'll set up some payment plans. Actually, Prince helped me a lot with that because he made amends when he was in prison. And he had paid back at like 50 cents a month to some of his creditors. And he looked at me and he said, Mike, people don't do this to us. And I said, what, steal money? He said, no, come back and tell us. <laughs> and I, I told him, and we sat and talked, and I don't want to be flipping about it. We sat and talked for a period of time. And, and he said, look, he said, we're going to call it even. He said, but if I see you drunk back here again, I want every penny. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: Here's what I learned in that trip to San Francisco as I faced my worst fears to do the right thing. Either God has my back or he doesn't. I don't have to protect myself anymore. Does it mean that I don't try? Of course not. Does it mean that I don't get scared? Of course I do. But I have to be able to go out in the world knowing that God has my back. You know, the Big Book makes some very serious promises. These promises are for real. And when we get into 10-11, I'm going to tell you some things I've done in, in the 10th step and the 11th step that I've seen the real power of this program. And what ends up happening is I change. My heart gets changed. I don't change because... I'm so good at this, I change because I'm seeking God. I came back from San Francisco just higher than a kite. (coughs) Because finally, I didn't have to hide from nothing anymore. I was such a paranoid drunk. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten really paranoid. Oh, that's right. a bunch of junkies in here, too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm serious. When I called AA, I timed my phone call to less than three minutes because I was afraid they'd trace my call. Um, You know, I was so paranoid. but But what the amends process is all about is about not wanting to be that kind of man anymore. And do I really trust this process? You know? And I came back And I told Frank what had happened, and he sat in his big desk, and you know he was grinning from ear to ear, you know, and he said, "I told you so." You know, but I learned a valuable lesson. I don't avoid amends anymore. I don't like to make them. I think it's the most humbling thing we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's also the most. It gives you a sense of reality of what you do in the world. I remember going back to somebody making an amend and when I got to the point this is a girl I used to date and when I got to the point and I said, This is what I've seen, is there anything else that I could you know, is there anything I've left out? She went on for an hour about stuff that I had never even thought of is how it affected her. And I sat there and listened and I got a life lesson. We don't really know all the time how we affect other people. We have no way of knowing that. We're sometimes so self-centered we think we know we've hurt them. You know, the big book says that we're sensitive. And it takes us a long time to outgrow that serious handicap. I think elkies are sensitive only when it comes to themselves. I really don't think elkies are very sensitive when it comes to the people around them. Because we can waylay people with a look. Right? I remember making amends to my daughter after she got a little bit older. And we did what the book said. We sat down and frankly analyzed the past. And I was able to say, here's what I did wrong here, and here's what I did wrong here, and here's what I should have done here, and here's what I should have done there. And my daughter and I are like, you know, we're like this today. You know, and that's a gift from God, a total gift from God. So that's what I have on eight and nine.
2: That's David, alcoholic. So pretty much what Mike does is the same thing that I do. Um, Amazing, care (laughs) from the same. I think that uh, part of the uh, basic format of going through an amends that I would add, because it says it in the book, is it, it does talk about. Um, telling them you're sorry. And I've heard so many times it means that you're not supposed to tell them you're sorry because they've heard it a million times when you were drunk. This sorry here where I'm at at step nine is not the same one that I'm at when I'm drunk. It's not the only thing I say, but I but it needs to be mentioned. I think it's mentioned in two, three, two or three different types of the amends that the book presents that we, we bring this i'm sorry it's completely we 're in a completely different place um, The other one and it comes the other instruction I was given it 's the very last instruction I was told to, to to follow through with on on every amends. It comes from the instruction that in the letter that the guy wrote to his wife about alimony, and that is asking for forgiveness and that 's really not about me that 's really about giving them an opportunity to get free just as asking them to tell me if there's anything I left out, how that made them feel, what I can do to make that right. Do you forgive me? Because the truth is is that um, this men's process is moving, to me, in, a, in, in my experience, to another, uh, another part of this cycle of forgiveness where these people are, are forgiving me. Whereas I I forgive them in my fourth step, I see that God forgave me in my fifth step. Now I'm giving these people an opportunity uh, to forgive me. If I'm making the amends, I'm free. If I'm standing in front of you and I'm I'm going through the motions, I'm free. Now the the instruction about uh, transitioning from 8 to 9, it talks about um, cleaning off our side of the street is not an end in itself. If all I'm doing... When I'm making amends, is worrying about cleaning off my side of the street. I'm coming to you from a selfish position. Mm-hmm. What it says is that that our real purpose is to be to fit ourselves to be a maximum service to God and our fellows. That means when I'm in front of you, put be put in, be willing to be put in an opportunity where I can be helpful. Okay, and. Um, Where i where I grew up, I ended up my parent I told you I, I moved up to the mountains out of Fresno up in the high country, and in that where I live, there's probably five or six, seven Indian reservations that are within a ten mile radius of where we lived, and I immediately gravitated to the hanging out on the Indian reservations. It's a whole different world down there, and I dug it. Nobody's putting on a face down there, you know. And I didn't have to put on a face down there. I came from hanging around a different crowd than that, and when I got down there, it was just a different thing. And it was wild and it was crazy, and and uh, and there's li- illegal activity going on down there. <laughs> I was a part of, and it was much, very similar uh, to what uh, Mike was talking about and having to go make it amends. But one of the things about that is that, you know. Um, there's another part of the book talks about we don't shun our friends just because we don't drink anymore. And if I come back to that community and shunned those guys down in the reservation because I was now sober, they literally would have kicked my ass because they would perceive that as I thought I was better than them because I'm not drinking anymore. And I didn't shun them, right off the bat. We got right. right in there with them, <laughs> hanging out, just not I wasn't drinking. And they respected me not drinking, and I respected them still drinking. Whatever, you know. But there came a time for an amends, and, and my sponsor said, you have to go make that amends, and that's a whole different ballgame. I mean, it. I mean, you fight with each other just for fun. I mean, they just, just shank you as, as anything else, you know, especially on the wrong side of things. And so I went down and I, this one guy I had to make amends to, we were selling ragweed, and I stole a bunch from him, and. Um, it was bad stuff. It just gave <laughs> you a headache and a cough. But we were selling it to the yuppies down in Fresno for 40 and 8. <laughs> 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 it's all profit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <So>.
2: <laughs> but I sold a bunch. And so and uh, I went back and made amends to him, And uh, it was all fine. It was good. Nothing happened. And uh, I went back to my sponsor and I told him, I said, hey, man, I, I went down there and I made amends. and. He goes, and they didn't kill you? You No, they didn't kill me. Nothing happened. He says, Man, I'm going to go make some of those amends. I got some still hanging out that are just like that. (laughs) 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 Wow, I'm the guinea pig here, you know. (laughs) But uh, I I started to plug into um, a Native American treatment facility because they had two meetings a week down (coughs) down in Fresno. And I started seeing these guys filter in, in and out of the treatment facility. And uh, if I wasn't at least their first contact at, in AA, I was certainly somebody that, I mean, in some cases, they sponsored some of these guys. And, and um, they're a very tight community. They're not going to just ask somebody for help. It's just not even in their culture to <laughs> ask somebody for help, you know? And um, to be a source for that. Um, on a regular basis of getting them plugged into AA was was, was awesome. Um, I uh <clears throat> me and a buddy took off one time for uh, Santa Rosa. That's was 15, 16 So I was sixteen, he was fifteen and and um, He ends up getting arrested because he's driving my car with no license because I'm too drunk and too high to drive it myself. And when he gets arrested, he gets to juvenile hall and he gets sent home. Sent home. His dad, actually his dad, came pick, picking him up four hours away from Fresno. And uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I came to in the hotel room because the cops didn't take me. They just dropped me off at the hotel room that I was staying in. My car got impounded. And so I'm, so in this drunken stupor, I decide that I'm going to take a little jaunt through memory lane of where some, play where we used to live, when I was ten to, ten to thirteen, fourteen years old. And I go back to this old house that, uh, that that my parents built that we that we lived in. I just wanted to see it. And uh, and, I, and I'm drunk. I'm sixteen. I can't imagine. I look at sixteen-year-olds now, and I think about man, they just look so innocent. <laughs> I can't imagine I was doing what I was doing sometimes when I look back. but Anyway, um, this older lady came out. She goes, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, just looking at the house my dad built. We used to live here. He goes, oh, those are your parents? Yeah. She goes, you want to come in? I'm drunk, and stinky, and slut. I go, oh, okay. You want to see your room? Okay. And she me off in my old room she had a day bed out there and she let me sleep in the bed so I thought about that and if obviously it came around in amends and how, how just invasive <laughs> that was and how awkward that must have been and that putting that woman in that position so I come back around this is this is uh, nine years later right? so i I go up to Santa Rosa, and I have a bunch in Santa Rosa Sebastopol I got to take care of and I, and that's just one of them and uh, I drive up and um, I get out and this lady comes out who, who's considerably younger somebody else, and she goes, "Can I help you?" And I said oh uh, there was there used to be an older couple that lived here, and I was just wondering if they still live here or they're around and she goes, "Oh no, that—that was—that uh, was my husband's mother. We—we we got the house from them. They passed away, or something." And I said, "Oh, all right. Well, I'll just be on my way." And she goes, "Well, what—what wh- are you here for?" I, and I told her the story. And she goes, oh, "Big breath of air she takes in." I go, "Does that mean something to you?" All right. She goes, my husband's mother was 30-year Al-Anon. When I came walking in that door at sixteen, she knew exactly what to do.
0: Yeah.
2: That's wow. She said, My husband right now is in a treat facility in Sonoma and he's gonna be out in about fifteen days. Would you be willing to at least talk to him and help him get plugged in into <laughs> meeting with Alcoholics Anonymous? Wow. That's
1: crazy.
2: Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Another one I just want to share with you, and it has to do with AA. When I went through the first steps the first time, before that, I was sitting in these meetings, and these people in the meetings were kept patting me on the, oh, Dave, it's going to be okay. You just go through your steps. And finally I did. And I had a spiritual awakening. I was shot out of a cannon, and I was on fire. And I came back and shared it, and then they were throwing cold water on it. And I quickly realized that they hadn't actually done it themselves. <laughs> and I copped an immediate resentment, I mean huge resentment. And so i it, it, it did two things. One, it drove me further into the literature, not only this literature, but the history that you guys have been raffling off. I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know what else they were lying to me about. (laughs) (laughs) I was was getting a general service, and I had a service sponsor that was a delegate. And he got me into the service manual. I mean, he he dialed me in. I was a walking war machine. (laughs) About two years sober, going to Amy's. And I was... Dropping bombs left and right, <laughs> and, and, and
1: I, I, I was
2: trying to get rid of that resentment on them, take, abusing them, literally. And that is no way to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I will tell you to this day, 18 years later, that reputation still follows me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Even though I haven't done that in, in, in 15 years, it still follows me. It, it affects my home group. Okay? But I did come around and make amends to those groups for behaving that way. I mean I would just single you out. And I would just call you out. I just I mean not not tactful, not I mean <laughs> just bear it bear down on you. Condemn the entire group. It's like a chainsaw going through a <laughs> Okay? And um, I think that most of those groups at some point over the years Have come back around and said, Will you do our big book study? And a lot of that ended up getting people coming to our group doing what we do. And then they go back into that group and they do some missionary work in there and they lead their own, and they're able to lead their own big book studies. Right? My real purpose in making amends is to fit myself in maximum service to God and my fellows. Right? The high school that I nearly got kicked out of um, I came back around and made amends to and I made a, a general letter amends to the school and then I made direct amends to individual teachers that I made in, uh, direct harms to and uh, one of the teachers I made a, um, uh, I made had harms to is, it, he was the director of the, uh, the junior senior prom. I was never eligible to go to any of that stuff after my freshman year, but they were gonna. I was a I, girl that I really dug. My senior asked me to go, and I told her I couldn't go, and she pretty much knew that, and she was gonna try and pull some strings and see if I could go. And so I thought I was gonna be able to go. It, it came down. I was gonna be able to go. So this one teacher decided that at the last second, the director says, "No, he absolutely cannot come." Broke my heart. Right. Now they're, gonna, now they're gonna pay. Okay? So I throw a four kegger, right? The he loses something like five thousand dollars on the on the prom because nobody goes. Everybody is in their prom dresses and tuxes at my four kegger. They show up to get pictures and that's about it, right? And they they go to the kegger. So I come back around. I gotta you know make amends for that and. Uh, the first thing that was interesting that he said is that he says I didn't even know you guys were doing that or you were doing that and I had a bunch there was a core of us that were all like that and uh, that was kind of shocking kind of scary that your teachers don't even recognize that but uh, the second thing was is that I said what can I do to make it right and he said well I teach driver's ed and I also teach health he said when I get to drunk driving in driver's ed you're going to come over here and, and tell your story. And when I get to alcoholism and drug addiction in in health class, you're going to come over here and tell the kids your story. He said, "I said, how long do I got to do that?"
1: Said,
2: well, how long were you drunk at my school? Good
1: one. Really?
2: So. So I'm doing this, and it's all very. The administration's a little uneasy, but they're going to let it happen. And so I I start doing it. And um, a teacher comes up to me I didn't know, and he says, Hey, uh, I heard you played soccer here. And I said, Yeah, I did, when I was eligible. And uh, he says, What do you think about coaching? I just laughed in his face. I said, Look. It's one thing to come here and do this little public service thing that I'm doing. <laughs> it's a whole other ball game to entrust kids in my care. I, I, you can run that by the dean if you want to. we are probably going to laugh in your face. He said, well, I don't know. Why don't we just look? Why don't we, why don't we see? And I, said, I said, have at it. And uh, he called me back that night. He says, you want to coach? I said, what would they tell you? He said, well, it wasn't without a fight. <laughs> but do you want to coach? I said, sure, I'll coach. Um, now i got to tell you that as a student, I was in all the college prep stuff and, and I did it all on Jack Daniels, mushrooms, and and weed, and I, I came out of the B average. Okay, They couldn't kick me out for lack of credits or anything like that. That was the only thing that was my saving grace. Um, but they just hated us. They had this thing I was a bad influence on the other students. I, I wasn't the peer pressured; I was the peer pressurer, right? The ringleader. And so, so I get about half halfway into the season, and um, we're having a good season. We're undefeated, and uh, we're kind of gathering around, trying to plan something for the holidays. And I try to stay out of it. <coughs> And um, one of the, uh, the parents go, uh, what do you think about what we should do for Christmas uh, get-together or whatever? I said, oh, I don't know. I don't, Whatever you guys want to do, it's not really a big thing to me. He says, and She just flat out said, hold on here, because you have no idea. You are a better influence on our kids than half the teachers in their school. Right out of her mouth. I don't, I don't cry it very much, but that almost got me there. I have a bunch of stories. I could go on all night with men's stories, but that's all I have. You know, I
0: was, I was uh, thinking about, you know, when, when I went and made those amends, the big book puts it this way the spiritual life is not a theory, it has to be lived. And am I willing to live my life based on the principles that I've learned in Alcoholics Anonymous? One of the things that I've come to find out is that I don't have to live my life based on how I feel anymore. I can live my life based on the principles I've chosen to live my life by, which is a whole different deal. I get the power to do that. But there's two other things in amends that I really would like to bring up. One of them is financial. If you have creditors, I'm here to tell you, creditors, this is a secret. They just want the money. They really don't want a pound of flesh. They don't want their cars back. I'm in the real estate business. I do short sales all day long. They don't want your houses back. You know, they just want your money. The Internal Revenue Service. I owed the Internal Revenue Service a bundle. Okay? Because I decided to get honest on my taxes. They'll work with you. And you got to pay them back. Big book says we have got to lose our fear of creditors. We can't be scared of them. I don't know about you, but back in the day, see, I did all this before the internet came along. All right, you couldn't find people. You had to go and look them up, and you, you had to go to the phone company and get phone directories and look them up. You didn't just Google their name and <laughs> Facebook them. And yeah, I'm big on Facebook now, but uh, you know, you, you you had to do that kind of stuff, and and. Uh, so I track these people down. The other thing I would really like to talk about is the big book does say that we go to people and express our ill feeling. Now, we had a period of time down at York Street and Monday night in that Happy Way where, where people were running around, they'd call you up and they'd go, I really want to make an amend to you. And you'd go out of your way to meet them and then they'd say, Mike, I I owe you an amend. Well, what for? Well, I really hated your guts. You're just a real asshole. Thank you. I'm so happy you shared that. Um, Bob came to me one time, and two guys that had made amends to me went and called him. He said, what are you calling me for? He said, we want to make amends to you. <laughs> Olson said, I already know I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> <That's true. laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you that I don't, I, don't, I don't make those amends. If I've caused actual harm, there's a difference between hurt and harm. I can hurt your feelings just by not doing what you want me to do. I don't owe you an amends for that, unless I'm intentionally doing it. But if I've caused you harm, then that's a whole different deal. And I've got to look at that when I'm looking up amends. You know, did I hurt you? Did I just not do what you wanted, or did I actually harm you? You know, and I don't make amends for those things. But here's one thing: is you really sincerely want to set the record straight with people? Sincerely, the book uses that term. I have had people in Alcoholics Anonymous come to me and others and make amends to do the amend so that they can go back to their home group and say, I finished all my amends. They did not want to set it right with me whatsoever. They didn't want to set it right with Bob. I've had normie people. I've got a bunch of realtor friends in Colorado, and I don't hide that I'm in this thing. Hell, I tell everybody. They send me there drunk husbands and wives and stuff like that. And I had this I had this uh, really close friend of mine. She's actually the gal who's watching my business this weekend, and she called me and, and she said her s- sister-in-law, who is nine months sober in AA, came and made an amend to her, and she says she really didn't want to set anything straight with me. She just wanted to uh, make an amend for what was the reason behind that. So people will pick up on the fact, if you really and truly want to set this thing right, you know, I mean, you've been around salespeople where you know they're just after the the dollar, they could care less about your welfare. Well, you don't buy from them. So if you're in there making amends, I think it's a good idea to really, I always sit down before I make an amend and I, I ask God to give me the sincerity. And I will start the amend by saying to people, I sincerely want to set this record straight. I really and truly have done some stuff to you, and it, is, it it just isn't right. And I need to own it. Okay. So that was just a couple other things that I wanted to bring up about amends. Is there any questions? Yeah.
3: Um, what? Is, how old was your daughter when you made amends to her, and what did what did that look like? like what was that like? I've
0: made. I'll tell you. I've made amends to my daughter a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time she was five. Um, the last time, the second time that I that we did that, she was 25. She was an adult, um, and what it looked like the first time is she was too young to really take a look at it, but she really got the feel that that Dad really cared about her and wanted to be there. And then when she was 25, um, she learned some things that had happened that I was blamed for that I didn't do anything, you know. And uh, it brought us absolutely and totally together. I'm going to tell you something I've learned. With family members, you have two shots. That's it. First time you go and make an amend to a family member, like a wife or brother or whatever, they're really glad you're there. They're going, oh, finally, Yes! The second time you go, they're going, Ehh. and after that, they don't want to hear it no more. They want you to change your behavior. You had your hand up back there? Yeah, and it was a question more today. You were saying the I'm sorry, that's a man thing. like, go a little bit deeper
2: into what you well, It's really nothing much else deeper that should be said. It's- there's a couple instances, examples in the ninth step that says that we have to say we're sorry, and I don't know. If there's anything else deeper to go other than it should be part of the. It should be a part of the process that, to say that, but to just leave it as I'm sorry as being enough. No, that's not. That's just an apology. Amends is actually taking the action to make it right. But part of the approach, the book is pretty clear on several occasions that saying I'm sorry is a part of this process.
0: I made some uh, amends um,
2: when I was like six months sober, and I've only picked up one white chip, but I feel like there's some things that I left out with some people. Um, I mean, you said you only get two shots of making amends with someone. I mean, if you've already made one amends to your parents, you wait a little while to make another one just so you don't um, leave anything off that one. (laughs) You only have two shots. I'm
0: saying that the people closest to you only do really have a couple of shots at them. Um, I would, you know, I don't know. I don't. Everything in AA is a two-edged sword. You know, it's like, are you waiting because, you know, you don't want to do it, or are you really waiting because you think your timing is going to be better? You know, one of the things that we used to do so much about amends is we'd ask, well, should I make amends, should I do this and do that? And both Prince and Frank would say exactly the same thing. They'd say, you pray about it, wait one day, and then do what you think's right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very well. Then you're guided. I hope that answered. Yeah, she had her hand up first.
1: Yeah, um, so making amends to parents, I have a question about that. What do you suggest? Like, how far back into childhood does one go when they look at behaviors? Where's the line between what we're responsible for as children and their behaviors preceding alcoholic drinking? But it's clear that the disease of perception is there. Like, how? I feel like maybe I have some amends that I need to make, but. I've had a couple of people advise me
2: that those aren't my responsibility, and then other people that say differently. So, you want to answer that, or you want me to take it? <laughs> I was just trying to think of one of the things I made amends for to my parents, and how like one of the earlier things. And uh...
1: I think another way to phrase that question is because I've had it before too. Is like if you're if you're 55 years old and you have 45 years of shit like are you' gonna sit around for the next four years saying I did a B C D one two three or
2: that's not what versus I heard at all that's not what I heard at all what I heard was it was um, it, if there's perceived wrongs at a younger age is at what point do you make the amends and I know that I have made amends to my parents for things when I was younger I just I can't pinpoint an age. I think the basis was if it's there, I make the amends for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think that's the really the the basis. If it's there, I make the amends for it.
4: I don't. I, I, I was more
2: co- I was more cognitive of what I was up to at a young age than than <laughs> I want to take responsibility for. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, personally, I don't let myself off the hook too much because I know when I was. Pretty cognitive of what I was up to at certain times, with as a child, where I was doing this. It wasn't like I didn't. I, I couldn't blame it on being a child, All right? So,
0: did that answer your question? Thank you, yes. Yeah, the, you, no.
2: okay. is yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Red had his hand. Yeah, i got an edition of the book where they left the word sorry out, and. Uh, and I'm just joking, but I know where it is. And I, need, I neatly evaded with guys I sponsor. Because without fail, it's like they, 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 they latch on to the word sorry and apology. And then they come back to me about making amends. And they describe the mechanics they went through and it's completely not what we discussed. Mm. And what they did was went and said, I'm sorry. And I was, every sponsor had, refuses to even let me use that word.
4: I understand it's in, in the book. I just am disturbed right
2: now. Here's what I don't get. But there's still more stuff that needs to be followed through with in the immense process, and I don't understand why they're stopping there. I'm not, and I didn't say that either. I said it's part of the process. In the, in the, look, I'm too stupid to come up with something like this on my own, so I just follow the directions, mm. right? I'm going to put the book on the shelf. If, it's, if the book says we say I'm sorry, I'm going to say I'm sorry. I know that I'm saying it from a completely different place. I know I'm in a completely different place when I'm saying that than when I came through the door sometime when my mom saw me or whatever and I'm saying I'm sorry. It's just a completely different person in completely different place. but book says it, so I do it. I don't question it. Well, I agree with Dave. I say it.
0: And, uh, but I've also been taught that it's not about going in just to say I'm sorry. Right. right. I mean, there's a whole ton of stuff i got to do besides that. And at the very end of it, or in the very beginning of it, I will usually come up and say, I am really sorry for what I did, but here is what I did. And... Uh-huh. Da da da, and is there anything I've left out? And what can I do to make it right? So there's that whole litany of things that need to be done. But I do use the word sorry.
3: Um, this is kind of in reference to her. I had surgery one time, and uh, I got a, one bottle of pain pills in the prescription. It said take every six hours. Well, I took one every five hours. Oh, <coughs> seriously in pain. And, I, and some people that where I come from in AA were saying this and they were saying this. I was kind of like, yeah, I was just confused as hell. So I called Scott and I said, I'm taking this pain medicine and I'm taking it every five hours and I'm not taking it as prescribed. And he says, well, he asked me something. And I said, yeah, I was in damn pain. And he said, well, how do you feel about it? I said, I feel fine about it. And he said, Okay. Cause I thought I was gonna have to get a white chip. I mean, my my, boy, my point is, Scott always kind of put things back on me and asked me how I felt about it, because he's, he's always told me that I know deep down inside what I need to do. You see what I'm saying? And I didn't feel like I needed to think. Of why I was in damn pain, and when that medicine was gone, I didn't go get any more pain medicine. I took Advil after that, and but, but my point is, is that I know deep down, it's like I I can. Does that make sense to y'all? Yeah. Okay.
0: That's one of the things. Actually, I haven't really done one of these where I refer to Frank as much as I have lately, but I sort of miss him a lot lately. Um, is he always said the same thing? He'd say, "Deep down, you know what's right. It's just whether or not you want to do it." Right? You know, I went to him over this marriage I was in. It was it was getting bad, and I said. I don't know whether to leave. I don't know what, you know. We were in counseling. We tried this. We tried that. And he says, You know what to do. And I stuck it out for another six months, you know. Of just It was just ice cold brutality kind of thing going. Now, nobody was talking to anybody. That's all that was really going on. But, um, you know, I knew like a year before that that I should have gotten out, you know. And he just used to say, You know what to do. You know, God's going to give you the answer.
4: Um, so I I made an amends at, because I've always heard what Tark was saying, but I also understand where you're coming from, Um, and I think today, where I'm at today, if I were to make an approach with someone, um, it would definitely be coming from a different spot. Um, The approaches I made at six months separated on step nine um, you know, six months prior, my mom was hearing, I'm sorry, or a year before I was hearing, I'm sorry, et cetera, et cetera, and everyone in my life was hearing that, and so, <clears throat> when I work with, with, the guys that I work with, I, I, I do give them a suggestion of, you know, to, to leave that out, because, you know, six months separated, se- sitting down in front of someone saying, I'm sorry, again, when they just heard that, really, my mom, mom didn't hear that shit, honestly, you know. Um, and and I have no idea what that experience would look like if I were to approach them in that way, um, and just you know give them an honest like, you know, along with me owning what I've done to you, I'm also sorry, and, and they're aware of that, you know. Um, but is um, how they
2: respond to our business? Right, right, right.
4: It, that's it, No, no, sure. is it?
2: That was a question, not a statement. No, no, it's not, it, I, and, and that's I, what I okay. have to
4: keep in mind as well. You know, so,
2: what's my responsibility? Is to follow the directions, right? It's not yeah. me saying it, right? Right. right I mean, it's right. in the book.
4: Right. I'm not trying to well, argue no, I'm just saying I totally I,
2: it's not yeah. me saying it. Right. It's in the book. Right. And I'm too stupid to not follow directions.
4: Right, Thank exactly. And, I'm, and I guess I... You know, because it's always been, you know, you only know what you know type thing. Right. You know, and I so think. for a long time what I knew was go to meetings and I'll stay sober by doing not and I'll like that and, and so I've always heard you know, we, you know that this, and that's not part of the immense process is to say I'm sorry and I guess...
2: Had you seen the Big Book before you've been told that?
4: Before I was told that? Uh, yeah. So who's
2: responsible for your recovery?
4: Okay.
2: Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Thank <laughs> you.
1: There really
0: isn't a situation that with regards to amends that's not really covered in the Big Book. Right. There's infidelity. There's owing creditors. There's needing to go back and make amends to
2: jailers. I mean, the whole thing's in the book. Look, you know what? I'm a firm (laughs) believer in autonomy. All right? I'm down with the fourth tradition of autonomy at the individual level. (coughs) Whatever you do with this thing, I really don't give a shit. (laughs) But if you're asking me for help, this is what we're going to do. If I'm asking you for help, I hope you show me what's in this. That's really what it boils down to. But really, this is a This is a God's honest truth. As a general rule, an alcoholist, honest, I don't give a shit what you're doing. I don't care how you're doing your steps. If you're doing your steps, when it matters, you're asking me for help. I'm asking you for help. Or there's newcomers in the room. That's when I. That's when it matters to me. That's it. Otherwise, you can. I am full bore. On autonomy, you want to come in here and ex- share your experience, but does not coincide with the book. Fine, that's your business. I don't care. Whatever. Over here. Okay. there. what are uh, what are
0: your thoughts on making a mess to someone who has passed or died? I've done it. I mean, I went to the grave site, read in the man's letter, uh, but I also
2: believe in afterlife. So that's just my own personal opinion. Me too. Uh, it brings into some spiritual terms in the book that uh, I may not have been open to. That I have to become open to if I'm really believing this thing's going to work, like infinite power and love, a God without time or limitation, and interconnectedness. Right. And um, <clears throat> I, I there was a there's a girl that I dated I had to make amends to and at first she said yes and then she said no I sent her a letter I hadn't heard her name I don't know anything that's gone on with her in 15-20 years I go up to our 4th of July Loggers Jamboree that I hadn't been to in 10-15 years up in the mountains and uh, I hear um, Jason Taylor Memorial throw. Jason Taylor was her brother and it's a memorial he's my age I didn't know he died. So I go to my best friend who's putting on the jamboree, and he says, and he goes, I go, What's this thing about Jason Taylor Memorial? He said he OD'd. I said, Oh. And I said, we talked about it for a little bit. I said, How's Stephanie taking that? And that was the, her, her uh, his sister. She's dead too. She committed suicide after she found out he overdosed. And I thought, Instantly, I thought i'm so grateful I did everything I could to make that amends so grateful and uh, and I've gone out and made amends too it, It's wacky stuff I don't know if anybody else has inventory like this, but I had resentments towards dead relatives.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I had a resentment towards my uncle that blew his brains out after he come back from Vietnam. I was only three years old because. If he thought I was important enough to get to know, he wouldn't have blown his brains out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I resented a dead person for that. And I went and made amends for that. I believe in it too. I believe in it afterwards. I think there's some of those powerful amends. Yeah. Yeah. Becky, uh, Alcoholic.
1: Yeah. I just wanted to share. Um, that a lot of the amends that I made um, seems like uh, were things that I thought that I had done to harm people but um, the overwhelming majority of the amends that I made I remember they were like, what? <laughs> and they they don't remember what I did. And, um, and when I think about that I think about the the role of its people really dominated us, and I think about the dancing reveal thing. Mm-hmm. And I think about how, you know, I thought I was hurting other people, um, and they didn't really care. And it just it it reminds me how incredibly egocentric and self-absorbed I am. You know, I think I'm so important that I hurt other people. You know, and they're like, I don't even remember that. You know, mm-hmm. so
0: that's fine. I love that, because that's exactly what amends is about. It's about going out there and finding out just how you affect the world and how the world affects you. That's absolutely right. I went to a guy in AA. His name was Richard Grand. He's long gone now. And Richard, uh, I went up to make amends to Richard because I had borrowed some money from him and never paid him back, and I went back to give him his money back. And I said, oh, and by the way, I've really just really disliked you for a long time, and I'm sorry for that. And he goes, damn, he says, I've never even thought about you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Exactly. It's like I start to learn that I'm not the center of the universe anymore. Anybody else? No other questions. I guess we're done for this segment.
3: Come back at eight fifteen.